Well, without further ado, I want to introduce to you uh, an amazing man. Um, we are so blessed to have this guy uh, in our church and the impact that he is having uh, because of who's God made him, but also because of his heart. Uh, he has such a heart for God, um, like nothing I've ever seen. He's just, his, uh, his dependence upon God is so great, and he has such a humility. And so, it, this is, I'm talking about Zach, Pastor Zach. <laughs> And there has, been, there has been just a move in the youth. And God's, I mean, God's eyes are on the youth. There's something happening uh, in the youth in this next generation that's rising up. Uh, and it is so awesome to see. And uh, Pastor Zach has been, has been helping to just to lead this charge as our, as our youth pastor. And so uh, I'm going to introduce him now, bring him up. Good morning, Rock Church. Let's see how we're doing. How do we look? You guys look great. I didn't tell the 9 a.m. service this, but there were a few punches I held back last service that I'm ready to release to you guys. Are you ready for them? A few secrets I'm going to give you. You guys look great. Can you look at your neighbor and tell them they look beautiful? All right, all right. Now look at your other neighbor, your second choice, and tell them you're glad you're sitting next to them. So excited you're here this morning. I'm excited to preach. We've got a, a breakfast fundraiser for our youth summer camp going on outside. Tacos, breakfast tacos. Come on, somebody. Um, yes, you can eat all the tacos that you'd like. You can also, what we're doing, the why behind the fundraiser is we are raising money to send students to summer camp. So there's a, a number of students that can't afford to go to summer camp. And it's unfortunate because we've seen God do amazing things at summer camp. We've seen entire students' lives and the trajectory of their life change because of a summer camp. And so if you'd like to, you can buy as many tacos as you want. If you'd like to scholarship a student, we had three scholarships last service. And uh, feel free to, to do that as well. Um, we are super excited about our summer camp. Can I, uh, can I get our youth leaders to stand up for a minute? If you're a youth leader, youth staff. Jesse, stand up. Kachu, Tyler, and Amber. These are my people. Look, church, these guys don't get enough recognition and honor. They are literally on the front lines of leading your students into the fullness of what God's called them to. And, and, and like the youth ministry is not built on the pastor or the staff. It's built on this team of volunteers and leaders that are, they're literally praying and spending time with your students and fasting for your students. And, and so guys, I love you guys. You're deserving of more honor. And can we just give them one more round of applause this morning? All right. So last service, and I love the 9 a.m., but the last service, I think I was up here probably 15 minutes, and, and nobody in the crowd said a word. And they all looked at me like this. Look, y'all, it is hard enough to be up here speaking. I could use just a little feedback. Maybe you say amen, or hello, or clap, like, engage, please. Students, can I hear from you this service? It helps me a ton. Yeah. All right. Whew. All right. So this morning, 
We are continuing a series on living in freedom, and I'm excited to preach the next installment. I've titled it Walk It Out. Walk It Out. We're going to talk about what it looks like to walk, walking out a life of freedom. Jesus came and he said, I came to give you life and give you life to the fullest. And we believe that life in Jesus is the fullest, best version of life that you can possibly experience. The best version of humanity is only found in Jesus. Only. It's not found anywhere else. It's not found in the party lifestyle or the rock and roll lifestyle. It's not found in the fame or popularity or any of that stuff. It's only found in Jesus. And so tonight, this morning, we're going to talk about walking it out. And I've got a video. A lot of our students, some of the younger people will know this song. But I want to show you this. Hopefully it makes you laugh. We're going to play the first 15 seconds so I don't get fired. Oh, come on. That grandma dances better than most of our students. Challenge. Lay it down. On Wednesday, we'll have a dance party. We'll see what you got. So this morning, I'm talking about walking it out. And if you have your Bible, you can flip open to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to read a story out of Matthew 14 and, and take a look at Peter's life. And I think there's some things we can pull out of that story that will help us walk in freedom. So Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 this morning, it says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come on, come to you on the water. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. I believe that walking in freedom looks a lot like walking on water. I believe there's a lot that we can pull out of Peter's story of walking on water, apply to our lives, and begin walking in a deeper level of freedom. In our story, the enemy or the world or whoever threw doubt on Peter. And doubt nearly caused Peter to drown. And I think in our lives, there are a number of things that come against us to try to sink us. Whether it's fear or anxiety, depression, bitterness, unforgiveness. There are weights that the world tries to put on us to get us to drown. And so this morning, I want to talk about how to get out of that and how to walk in freedom. So Jesus, this morning, as we spend time together, God, I pray that you would do something supernatural in this place. God, I pray that we would encounter you, Holy Spirit, like we never have before. God, we're not here for a religious duty. We're here to meet with you. In the Bible, no one that ever met with you 
didn't leave changed. And this morning, God, we're in this house, we're in this building because we want to leave changed. So would you show yourself to us? Reveal yourself to us. In your name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Have you ever done something that you've never done before? You ever done something for the very first time ever? You know that feeling of doing something for the very first time? There's this, the water park in Colorado is called Waterworld. And um, there are these three famous slides at Waterworld, and they're all white. And they are, who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, come on. These three slides, okay, so they have this like mild level that's like, it's sort of like that. And then the middle one is a little bit more steep, it's a moderate. And then the third slide, you're literally glide, like I think you're just jumping, right? Like I don't even think there's any contact with the slide. You just close your eyes and pray. And uh, somehow they, I haven't had many deaths. I remember the first time I was going to go on that, I was looking at it and I thought, oh God, I don't think I could do it. And so I'm climbing up the ladder and I'm thinking, I'm just going to do the, the easiest one, the one on the left. And, and I'm walking up there and I see this six-year-old girl <laughs> go down the steep one. And I was like, far be it from me to not go down that steep one. Let's go. And then like, once you do it once, you know, you're sort of over it and you're like, oh, I could do this every day, all day. You know, uh, last week I was in Alabama with my girlfriend and her family. And one of the things they love to do in Alabama is to go boating. And, uh, and so I have one terrible experience with boats. It happened in Mexico and it was like a, a terrible thunderstorm. The waves were crazy. The boat was like cheap wood and it was just like rocking. And I was getting so nauseous. I was like, super young. And it was just, I got so nauseous and I just hurled off the side of the boat. And I promised myself at a young age, I will never ride on another boat. And then I went to Alabama with my girlfriend and I couldn't embarrass myself. So I got on the boat and we're riding the boat. And about halfway through our trip, we're in the middle of the lake. And he asked, Hey, do you want a wakeboard? And I was like, Oh God, like I can barely even be on this boat but I don't want to embarrass myself in front of my girlfriend. And so I'm like, yeah, I want a wakeboard. That sounds amazing. <laughs> oh God, please. Praying every prayer I've ever heard. Our father, where are you? So I get on the wakeboard and I'm, I'm down there, right? And I'm, I'm on the wakeboard. You start on your stomach. So I'm on my stomach and I'm just laying. And he's, he's literally going like half a mile per hour just like out of pity. And I'm like, all right, dude, you could go a little bit faster. So he, he goes a little bit faster. And this is my first time. So I go and I go from my stomach, I get on my knees and I just start wobbling. Like I, I don't have very good balance to begin with, but this, I was just like, oh God, <laughs> just wobbling, wobble, wobble. And I try, I, I, I put one foot up into the thing and you've got to grab the handles off of the wakeboard and then hold them. That's the goal. And so I start pulling it and I literally just tumble sideways like that into the water, game over. And I was like, let me do it again. And so we do it again. I do it the second time. The second time I'm down, I get to my knees, wobble, 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 a little less wobble. And then I put one foot up and I grab it and I put the second foot up and I literally just go straight back. Like I just lose it. I just, whoosh. I was like, ah, oh, I got to do it one more time. And so I'm down, I get up, I put my feet in there and I stand and I hold it. And I want to say it was like three minutes, but in reality, it was like 15 seconds. 
but I did it. And we've got video to prove it. And I think that walking in freedom looks a lot like that. I don't think walking in freedom is this thing where you get saved and then instantly you're just, oh, I'm walking in freedom. I never screw up. I never get fear. I never get anxiety. Life is just so good because I'm saved now. I just don't think that's the way it works. I think it's a lot like that wakeboard experience. We're on our stomachs and we try to get up a little bit further and then we fall. And Jesus is like, I'm right there to pick you up and to get you back on that wakeboard. And then we try it again and we, we get a little bit further, but we fall. And Jesus says, hey, don't worry about it. I'm here for you. I'm with you. And I'll get you right back up. And then the third time, he's just like, all right, you could do it. And you get a little bit further. You walk a little bit further on the water the more you know Jesus. And so I want to sort of look at those two things this morning. And so if you've got your notes, students, if you've got your notebook, hold it up. Yeah, see? These are my people, notebooks. If you've got notes, if you're taking notes, you can write down point number one. Point number one is in order to walk it out, we have to take a step and make a call. I added that. Oh, they added it. Who did that? Alan, I love you. Oh, gosh. In order to walk it out, we have to take a step and make a call. Walking in freedom is not something that you were intended to do on your own. It's not something that God said, okay, you're saved, now go do this. Do life on your own by yourself. We can never walk in freedom out of our own volition. We need Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit. But he's asking us to take a step. He's asking us to take a step. And when we look back at our story in Matthew chapter 14, verse 26 says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. This is it. Catch us. These are the kind of people we want to be right here. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Okay, so all of the disciples have this in common. They were all in the boat and they were all filled with fear. All 12 of them in the boat, terrified. One disciple says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to walk on the water and I'll come. One disciple. The world wants to get us to camp in our boats of fear and anxiety and depression and stress and financial burden and all of these weights. They want us just to stay in them. 11 of the 12 disciples stayed in that boat because they had fear. One disciple said, hey, Jesus, if it's you, call me and I'll come. In order to walk it out, we have to be willing to take a step. We have to say, I've lived a life this way up till now, and I won't live this way any longer. Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. And if it means I have to take a step, even if I'm uncomfortable, I'll trust you. We have to be willing to take a step. A lot of people dreadfully live their lives in these spiritual prisons, bound by shame and guilt and nervousness and fear, but they aren't willing 
to do what it takes to walk in freedom. Freedom comes at a cost. We get this in our lives, but sometimes we don't understand that in the spiritual realm. To walk in freedom, it comes at a cost. Are y'all alive? This is, this is starting out just like 9 a.m., and I'm not stoked even a little. Oh, God. Save us. Who said that? That's why I love you, girl. Anna for president. She's got my vote. I want to say this. I think our God is a God of immediately. Our God is a God of immediately. In our story, two things are, there's one word that's repeated twice, and it's the word immediately. It says the disciples were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. Immediately. Did you get that? Immediately, Jesus responded to their fear and said, take courage. Just a few verses later, it says that Peter's sinking and he cries out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Our God is a God of immediately. Look, medicine isn't even immediate. It takes about an hour. Doctors, you have to go to them to get help. And Jesus says, I will meet you right where you're at and get you through whatever you're going through. Look no further. The answer is in Jesus. It's in him and him alone. It's in Jesus and Jesus alone. That's our answer. He's our source. We need to stop looking to vices and this thing and that thing and the other. It's not about a good message. You can find that online. It's not about good music. You can find that on iTunes. It's solely about Jesus. He is who we need. He's the answer to our fear. He's the answer to our depression. He's our answer to whatever you're questioning. In order to walk it out, we have to take a step and make a call. What I love in Psalm 23, verse 4. Most of us know Psalm 23. It's, it's David, and he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We love that, right? I love it. This is the one thing I want you to catch from that. Keep it up. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. A lot of Christians, I see, they just camp in the valley of the shadow of death. They just sit in it, and they dwell in it. And God's not calling us to sit in our anxiety and sit in our fear and sit in uncertainty. He's calling us to walk on through it. Da David knew it was coming. The valley of the shadow of death was coming, and David said, I will walk through it. We have to walk through it. We cannot camp in these places. When I was 13 years old, I suffered extremely with social anxiety. I mean, to a brutal level. I remember when I was 13 years old, it was summer break, and our school, like about a few hundred of us, were having a, a party in a park, a local park. And my mom was driving my best friend and I to the park for the party. And I remember being so excited. Like my friend and I were talking about it. We had bought Gatorades and chips. And like, we were real excited because when you're 13, that is everything. Come on, somebody. Gatorades and chips. 
And we show up to the party, and my mom stops the car, and my best friend gets out. And I look and see all of my friends having fun. And I turn and look at my mom, and I said, Mom, I can't go. And she's like, honey, go. I was like, Mom, I can't go. Like, I don't, I don't know what's happening, but I can't go. And I think the enemy would love, love to use this, that sort of thing, to keep us from going where God's called us to go. I was supposed to go to the party, but because of social anxiety, I never ended up going. I think there's destinations in your life that you are called to go, but you haven't been there yet because these things are holding you back. We are paralyzed and frozen in these things. So the question is, are you going to camp or are you going to take a step and make a call? Are you going to cry out to Jesus and say, Lord, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I've tried it on my own forever and it's not working. I need you. We need, God, I need you. I need you to help me be a father to my kids. I need you. God, I need you to help me be a better classmate, to help me be a better student, to help me love my parents. I need you, God. I think when we're at a point of desperation where we cry out, Peter cried out because he was drowning. A lot of us, guys specifically, like we don't want to ask for help. We'd rather try to climb our way out of this sinking sand ourselves than just cry out to Jesus and say, Lord, would you give me a hand? That's not tough. That's stupidity. The world's tried that for thousands of years and it's gotten us nowhere. We don't need more men that say, I can get through this on my own. We need men who will humble themselves and come before the Father and say, Lord, I need you. I need you to raise my kids. I need you to raise my kids. Teach me how to love my wife. That's what we need. Okay, that's it. I'll leave you with that. I'm going to pray and we're dismissed. Kidding. Worship team can come up. Point number two, in order to walk it out, we have to look Jesus in the eyes. In order to walk it out, we have to look Jesus in the eyes. I want to start with Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pause there. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. You know, our eyes determine our direction. Jesus said the eyes are the window to your soul. Your eyes determine your direction. I learned this most when I, when I took snowboard lessons. I grew up a skier. I was born in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. And in, in the 90s, I don't know, there were a few snowboarders, I guess, but like everyone skied and it was cool to ski. And so I grew up skiing and I don't like snowboarding. And if you snowboard, I don't really like you. Let that one sink in. You guys have a mindset that you're better than everyone else. We're greater than the world. We're snowboarders. Oh, you ski? Psh. You are the worst. 
I took snowboard lessons just to try to fit in when I, just last year, like I was 22 years old and I was like, I should give this a shot. Grew up skiing and I was like, I'll give it a shot. So I, I took snowboard lessons and I, I, like, I hate this thing, but I was literally on the board skiing. You have two boards. Like you, it's so easy and fun and free. <laughs> Snowboarding, you're chained in both feet, one board and it's misery. The enemy created it to punish humans. <laughs> anyways. Anyways, I'm strapped in and I'm so nervous and I'm literally wobbling just like the wakeboard only wakeboard was this and snowboards this. And I'm wobbling and all I can do is look down like like looking at my feet like oh god. Like I, and my my snowboard instructor the entire time is just like you have to keep your eyes up. If you look down, of course you're going to fall, but just keep your eyes up ahead of you and you'll go where your eyes take you. And I was like, oh, I can't do it. I don't trust my feet. <laughs> He's like, you got to. I think this so applies to our lives as Christians. We have to get our eyes off of our circumstances and get them onto Jesus and say, you are my source. You are the answer. You are my strength and you will get me through it. We have to get our eyes off of the mountains that we face and get them onto the mountain mover. Too often we dwell on this thing that we're facing and think, God, I don't know how I'll get over it. And God's saying, I don't want you to figure it out. I just want you to look to me. I don't want you to have all the answers. I want you to trust that I have the answer, that I am the answer. That's what walking in freedom looks like. It looks like getting our eyes off of our situation and getting our eyes onto Jesus. Back to Hebrews chapter 12. The second half, fix our eyes on Jesus. The second half says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The first two words there, consider him. I couldn't get by it when I was reading this in preparation. Consider him. Usually I skip, I'll just consider him, whatever. Consider him. I think the author was making it so clear that we are to consider Jesus when we go through things. We're to consider him. Our lives are consumed with consideration. Think about it. Our lives are consumed with consideration. We consider, should I wear this or should I wear that? Should I eat this or should I eat that? Should I do this or should I do that? Consideration. And the author says, hey, consider him. You've spent 20 years considering your job. Just consider him. You spent 20 years considering your fear or your illness. And God's saying, stop it, please. Just consider me. Everything will change if we just fix our eyes on Jesus and consider him. It completely changed for Peter. Peter's walking on water. He's doing it. He's looking at Jesus. And then the Bible says he saw the wind and he began to sink. He looked at what was coming against him and he began to sink. All he had to do is keep his eyes locked on Jesus. And he would have been all right. This morning, would you pray for me? 
pray with me as we close? Jesus, we're so thankful for you. All of Christianity can be summed up in one word, and it's Jesus. You are all we have. You are all we need. We need not look any further than you, Jesus. You're the beginning and the end. You're the alpha, the omega, the starter and the finisher. God, tonight, this morning, would our eyes be fixed on you? Would they be locked on you? Would, we, would you help us get our eyes off our situations and get our eyes on you? With our eyes closed, if we'd keep them closed just for privacy and concentration this morning, if you're in this room and you say, oh man, I've been in a boat of X, Y, or Z for years maybe even, but today I need to take a step or make a call. Would you just raise your hand to heaven right now as a sign of saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you. God, I pray for every hand lifted that you would be the answer, not just as a figure of speech, but in reality, God. Would you begin moving mountains on their behalf so that things would begin to work out, God? The Bible says you work all things together for the good of those who love you. God, would you begin working all things together in the lives of the hands that are raised? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our ushers, they can come forward. We're going to close service this morning by taking communion together as a family. It's a huge honor to get to lead us in this. And, and so this morning, I want us to begin passing it out. I want us to think about that verse in Hebrews. Hebrews 12, it said, consider him. My favorite part about taking communion is that we get to take for a moment a chance to consider him. And so as you get it, don't take them yet. Just hold them in your hands and we're going we're gonna to take the bread and the cup together. Straight. 
right. So this morning, as we finish passing these out, I want us to do this a little bit differently. I love communion. It's something Jesus commanded us to do, but I believe it's so much more than just a symbol or a sacrament. And so I want us to, to raise this bread in the air. I want us to hold it up. I want us to close our eyes as we continue to consider Him. And I just want to speak some words into your soul about who Jesus is. It's more than just a cracker, y'all. And so if we'll close our eyes, Jesus, I thank you that you are the bread of life. God, I thank you that you are our very life source, God, that there is nothing more that we need than you, God. And I thank you that as we eat this, God, you're literally filling us up from the inside. God, we are eating and partaking of your bread and of your body as a sign of ourselves filling up on you. And so this morning, God, as we eat this, Holy Spirit, would you literally fill us up? Let's take the bread. As you finish that, you can stand up to your feet, hold the cup. I want us to hold this up now. This cup is more than just grape juice. This cup is the antidote to whatever we would ever walk through in our lives, anything and everything. There's nothing that this blood can't cover. There's nothing that this blood can't save. There's nothing that this blood can't transform. There's nothing. This blood. Jesus' blood is that important. It is that good. He didn't bleed this blood just to get us into heaven. He bled this blood so we could have a free, full life so that we can know Him and have relationship with Him and walk with Him. As we drink this cup, drink it more than just juice. Thank the Father in heaven for sending His Son that we might be spotless like He was, that we might be cleansed like He was, that we might be pure like He was. As we take this cup, I pray that the Father would make you like Jesus was. Jesus, thank you for your blood. We take it now as a family. Amen.